You're listening to Johnson & Boone Solicitors Podcast exclusively on the Pod Station. Welcome everyone to episode 8 of the Johnson & Boone podcast where each week we cover a topic that will hopefully give you some advice and some guidance to either deal with or hopefully avoid a legal problem. Uh, my name's Mark Pollard. With me this week is a long-lost stranger whose face I can barely recognise and whose name I can hardly remember who's joined me after a two-episode absence. It's Rob Boone. Hi, Hi, Mark. I'm all right, Rob. What what have you been doing with yourself for the last two weeks? Well, I've been uh, I've been taking a bit of a backseat. We had a I think it was Jonathan um, had a chat with everyone about the the child stuff, and then last week, uh, fellow partner Johnson and Boone and Chris Johnson discussed divorces. So I'm back this week with a vengeance, and we're going to talk about uh, the types of business structure that people might want to know about. Of course, it you. You're not just a one-trick pony at Johnson and Boone, are you? There's there's plenty of skills and expertise within the team, and you can't always have the spotlight, I guess, Rob. No, no. Well, it's important that you know the the person who's speaking each week is the person with expertise in that area, and it's also the person that you know an individual is likely to deal with if they get in contact with us for any matter. Now, if you're thinking, "Oh, bugger! I don't think I've heard that show." Don't panic, because there's loads of ways in which you can access those. You can visit the Johnson & Boone website, which is johnsonandboone.co.uk. There's a podcast tab where you can find all the previous shows. You can download the Johnson & Boone mobile app. It's completely free. You can find it on Apple and Google app stores. Uh, On there, you can find all the shows, which you can listen to directly from the app. You can also get all the articles uh, and advice that, uh, Johnson Boone throw up there. Uh, you can book appointments with the team. You can find out all the services that they offer. If you're a Legal Guard member, you can actually gain access to your membership and all the benefits that go with that uh, as well, whether it be access to the legal library, uh, your special discounts, um, your affiliate links. There's, there's a whole host of things which which are well worth checking out. So you can do that. Um, if all of those things don't float your boat, then, of course, we're on Apple, Google, Spotify, uh, Deezer, Stitcher. There's a whole host of places where you can find this show. And as I said, this is episode eight. So the seven other golden nuggets. We've done landlord and tenant. We've done uh, commercial. We've done civil litigation. We've done uh, child access. We've done divorce. There's a whole host of things. Uh, and what are we doing again today, Rob? We're talking about the different structures upon which most businesses are based uh, in the UK. And why why do you think it's something that people might benefit from knowing about? It's something which, which people will benefit from having an understanding of so that they can ascertain whether they're trading in the correct way. So there's four main types of business structure in the UK. There's sole trader, partnership, limited liability partnership, or a limited company. And it's important that um, individuals and business owners have a general understanding of the different types so that they can make a decision themselves, how they want to structure a business that they're involved in, whether they're structured correctly, 
whether they should be reviewing it. It makes a big difference, doesn't it? It affects your legal liability. It affects how you might be able to get loans or or access to facilities, who can enter into contracts. So th- there is quite a, a big relevance when when deciding what type of business structure you're going to go for. Yeah, there certainly is. I mean, they're all very different in, in terms of um, what effect they have in relation to both the way tax would be dealt with, for example, or the way any liabilities would be dealt with, you know, are they against a separate legal entity or are they against the individual? And does the individual realise that when they're trading? And I assume it's better to ask this question and make this decision at the outset if you're a new business. Yeah, it's something that should always be considered. Um, I mean, it's something that would often be considered by the accountant who um, was was dealing with the business. It's often the case that someone would start as a sole trader, for example, and then later on move to a limited company. And there's a host of reasons why they might do that. So it's never too late. Um, but no matter how you trade and how long you've been trading, what structure you're using, it's still, you know, it's a good recap to make sure that people understand uh, what it is they're doing or what it is they could be doing differently. And that, 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 of course, was going to be my next question, which is you can presumably change these at any point. And I think you've just answered that. It, if your circumstances change, one one option might suit now, but in a couple of years' time, another might seem more preferable. Yeah, absolutely. It often will change over time, and there'll be a number of factors that will affect that. You know, it can be, it might be in the first place you're running the business alone. So you are in absence of doing anything else, a sole trader. If someone joins you, then in absence of doing anything else, you automatically become a partnership. So it can be the things will change because you decide physically to change them, or it might be that you're forced into a change. So let's go through each of those four types that you just mentioned, just boil down a little bit into each one and what they consist of so people can perhaps recognise which either applies to them or which might be more preferable to them if they're already in a in some sort of arrangement. Uh, so, uh, ooh, dealer's choice, I guess. Let's start with sole trader. Um, what does it mean to be a sole trader? Um, sole trader, this is the simplest of all the business structures. Um, the business owner operates as a self-employed sole trader if they start working for themselves, all they have to do is register the business with HMRC and they're good to go. Okay. Uh, so if it makes a profit, is that the business's or is it theirs? As a sole trader, the business is run by the individual and therefore they're entitled to keep all the profits as income, but they will be liable to pay um, any tax or national insurance and they do have to file a self-assessment tax return. Now, there isn't any maximum amount that an individual can earn using that mechanism, but it can become less tax efficient in the higher brackets. And presumably this is always a double-edged sword. Uh, you're a sole trader, you get to keep all of that lovely money. Um, but does that therefore mean that if you get to keep all of the good stuff, you probably also have to face all the bad stuff like legal liabilities? Yeah, you're spot on from a legal perspective. The individual is personally responsible for all liabilities. So that means if the business ends up involved in a dispute of some sort and award was made and an award was made against the business, 
the judgment would be against the individual. Um, so it's important that that's understood depending upon the nature of the business that they're involved in and the likely risks of litigation and things like that. Um, so it, it, it is right, yeah, that it's a consideration um, and it's a case of weighing one up against the other. And so what are the, uh, I suppose we should start with what are the pros for being a sole trader? If you are going to be carrying all of the liabilities, what sort of safeguards or protection can you put in place? There's a number of things you, you could and, and should really do. So first of all, you should have a proper terms of business in place that is between you and any clients that you're acting for, regardless really as to the type of work that you're doing. Um, but also you'll be entering into contracts as a, a sole trader and you should be getting those contracts reviewed by a solicitor just so as you understand the liabilities, regardless really as to how simple they seem. Um, obviously, finally, in, in, from an insurance perspective, you should make sure that you've got all the relevant insurances in place um, for anything that you can be insured against. Uh, again, just limiting the, the hit on your pocket at a later stage if, if you do come unstuck on anything. So, in essence, when you're talking about terms of business, and this is something that's ill understood, I find, with the business world in general, is what name is going on that contract. Obviously, you've said that it's the individual who's responsible. So, let's take an example, and forgive me for this example, Bob the Builder. <laughs> we all know Bob. Um, Bob the Builder wouldn't be signing this contract as Bob the Builder, Bob would be signing it as Bob, wouldn't he? He would, yeah. So um, normally a sole trader will still, they'll trade as. So, you know, it could be, if we use your example, Bob the Builder, he could be trading as Bob's Building or, or, or Bob's Builders or something like that. Um, the important thing for the terms of business is that regardless as to whether anything's in writing, every every piece of work that you do is subject to terms because you've agreed what you're going to do and you've agreed the price for it. But what normally isn't thought of is all of the bits and pieces that go around that. And it doesn't require you to have a, a separate contract for every single job that you do, but there should be some basic terms in, in relation to how you be paid, limitations on your liability, the timings. And the whole point really is just to avoid any mismatched expectations with your customers and limit any any likelihood that you are going to get into any disputes. Um, reasonably straightforward to put in place. And once they're in place, they very rarely need altering. Um, many businesses don't have them, but they, they absolutely should. Now, segueing smoothly from a sole trader, uh, because terms of business are obviously there to protect that individual against the liabilities they may face, um, if Bob the Builder goes and gets himself a friend who also wants to get involved in the building business, um, I presume partnerships might be one option if there's more than one person. Yeah, so as soon as uh, more than one individual uh, conduct business with a view to, to making a profit and sharing those profits, they have formed a partnership, whether they realise it or not. Um, and then in those instances, if we're looking at documentation, then in addition to the need for your terms of business and any insurances, you then also need a partnership agreement. And that's going to set out all the terms upon which the partnership is based, everyone's roles, what they've, you know, 
put into the partnership in, in terms of getting it going, along with many other things. Again, it's something that many businesses don't do, um, either because at the start they don't feel it's important or, or they don't have the time or money maybe to put that in place. Um, but it's never too late and it, it, it can still be dealt with at a later stage. So what are the risks of a partnership? Because you're, you're introducing, a, I suppose, a second factor to the equation in as much as there's two people now or more involved in the business. Is that going to reduce people's liability? Is that going to increase people's risk? Uh, the partners share the risks, the costs, the benefits and the responsibilities of running the organisation. They're still personally responsible for those losses or debts um, that the business undertakes. Each partner is also responsible or liable for the other partner's negligence or misconduct. Um, the profits or losses of the partnership will be shared between the partners Um and in relation to um, how that's shared, the profits are shared in relation to the ratio of the partnership. And then each partner pays their own tax on their share of the profits. So the structure isn't dissimilar to the structure of a sole trader. It's just there's more people involved and therefore it has that added, added layer of complexity. And it very much is an added risk of complexity, as you've just said there. You almost become responsible for the other person. So what other things do you need to think about? Because that's quite a big factor to process. It is. I mean, I can't stress enough the importance of a partnership agreement being in place because a partnership agreement will manage roles and responsibilities as much as anything else. Um, and, you know, it it helps everyone understand who's going to do what role within the business, what their limitations are, um, and it sets out scope in relation to all different things. When when there's more than one person involved, and obviously when you're, if you're one of those partners, you're also responsible for the negligence or misconduct of the other partner. It's important that there isn't any confusion in terms of what's going to happen. Uh, it's also important, you know, that there's a great deal of trust involved in relation to the people that you're in business with. Having all that recorded nice and neatly in a partnership agreement is really important. But then also making sure that, for example, there's proper terms of business in place and everybody's running the business in the same way. We refer to mismatched expectations between you know, a business and its customers, but there can be mismatched expectations in relation to how things might work internally. And you can have maybe two people doing exactly the same job, but in a completely different way. And one of them is more prone to running into disputes than the other. All of those things need to be ironed out. Um, and it's in everybody's interest, really, within every business that it's it's run in a certain way uh, and it's a certain agreed way. So, again, it's similar back to the sole trader point. You need proper terms of business. You need proper insurances in place. Uh, but you do also need the partnership agreements as well. It's really important. Check out award-winning Johnson & Boone Solicitor's unique product, Legal Guard. Ideal for businesses and individuals. Legal Guard ensures you get the legal help you need when you need it. 
Packages start from just £24 a month and include free expert advice, access to a library of legal documents, as well as exclusive discounts on a range of services. For more information, visit johnsonandboon.co.uk forward slash legal guard and quote the code THECHESH. So what's the difference then between a partnership and a limited liability partnership? Because on the face of it, they sound the same by virtue of a name, except obviously the limited liability bit, which must sound more preferable given what you've just described. Yeah, a a limited liability partnership or an an LLP, um, as it's often referred to, is, is similar to a partnership, except that a partner's liability is limited to the amount of money that they invest in the business. The LLP must be registered at company's house and with HMRC. Uh, annual accounts also have to be prepared and filed. So it's a bit more structured. So it's a bit more like a limited company, I guess, the, the, the more traditional businesses that people might be familiar with. Yeah, it's a bit of a, a halfway house between the two. So there's still some of the benefits that, that come with the flexibility of a partnership. Uh, at the same time, uh, it, it is structured and, reg- and registered a company's house with set filing requirements. And is there a specific number of people that have to make up an LLP? Um, an LLP can be incorporated with two or more members. Um, and a member can either be an individual or a company. Members' responsibilities uh, and share of profits are set out in an LLP agreement and all members must submit personal tax returns every year. They have to pay income tax on their share of the partnership profits, and they also pay national insurance to HMRC. Okay, so that's a, a limited liability partnership. Uh, we've we've very smoothly segued from sole trader to partnership, from partnership to limited liability partnership. Um, let's drop the partnership of that title and move on to a limited company. So this is probably one which most people are more familiar with. Um, but just for clarity, uh, what does it actually mean? Yeah, you're right. It, most people will be familiar with the phrase limited company. You know, it's one of the most used structures within the UK for businesses. A limited company is a privately managed business which is owned by its shareholders but run by the, the directors. Um, the company is a separate legal entity with its own rights and obligations. So this means the company is responsible for everything it does and its finances are separate from the personal affairs of its owners. So I guess, unlike a sole trader where everything hands with you as the individual, everything now rests with the business itself. Yeah, it does. So the, the business itself is a completely separate legal entity uh, and as I say, it has all its own responsibilities and obligations. So going back to the original example of Bob the Builder, this would be Bob the Builder Limited? It would, yeah. It'd be Bob the Builder Limited. It would be registered at Company's House as Bob the Builder Limited. And if, for whatever reason, the company got into a dispute, any court proceedings and any judgments would be against Bob the Builder Limited. Okay. And does that then apply for profits as well? Any profits that are generated or retained by the company after it's paid corporation tax, only then are the profits distributed to the shareholders in accordance with any dividends that are declared. 
as I said before, there are also annual reporting and filing requirements um, and all of those documents are readily available on Companies House. So it's much less private than, say, uh, a sole trader who it's very difficult to find out anything because they're personal accounts. There will be an abbreviated set of accounts on Companies House for the company. So you can already see there's a very clear distinction between, say, a sole trader and a limited company by virtue of you're paying corporation tax instead of personal income tax, um, that that profits have been paid out as dividends as opposed to you just receiving those profits, much the same as you would do, say, a, a salary. Um, what about the the liability side of things? What What's the difference there? It's, it's a much safer position for the business owners. So for the most part, all liabilities and risks remain with the company. There can be occasions when directors become personally responsible for certain things because of breaches of their obligations that arise out of the Company Act. Um, but generally speaking, the, the company, uh, the, the liability rests with the company and the owners are reasonably protected as long as they haven't done anything unlawful. Uh, without getting too bogged down in the complexities of it all, uh, or else we'd be here for years, uh, what are the structures that you can implement with a limited company either to to restrict what you're liable for or to determine how profits, say, are, are spent, uh, how decisions are made? Um, firstly, in terms of, of the liability elements, it, it's often ignored, but there are two different ways of setting up the, the limited liability part of a company. So a limited company, it can be limited by either shares or guarantee. Most limited companies are limited by shares. And this means that the shareholders' responsibilities for the company's financial liabilities are limited to the amount that the shareholder has agreed to pay for those shares. Um, as I say, there is a second option in which the, the company is limited by guarantee, but that's very uncommon. Um, a company limited by guarantee does not usually have share capital or shareholders, but instead its members act as guarantors. We've done a quite a, a quick and cursory view of all the different business structures. There's an awful lot more to them. I think you'd all probably switch off long before we've managed to get bogged down into the nitty gritty. Um, I think it's probably wise to go through maybe some pros and cons of each of the different types. On the face of it, a limited company uh, where your liabilities are limited and it's not even you personally, it's the business. Sounds great. Why would you not choose that option? So there are presumably benefits from the other business structures that outweigh limited companies in certain circumstances and i think it'd probably be useful for us just to run through those uh, just so that people can get a better better idea of why it is that you might go for one now as opposed to another one and why perhaps further down the line you might want to swap and change because your circumstances have so are you all right with that are we happy to do that yeah that's absolutely fine i think it would be helpful for us to recap over what the the main pros and cons are for each one. As as you say, we've said a fair bit there. So if we can narrow it down into, you know, what is basically some tips, uh, I think that'd be useful. Okay, so why would you want to be a sole trader? So the pros for a sole trader would be that it's low cost and easy to set up. The individual retains full control. And as we've said, only basic legal documentation is required 
in the form of the terms of business. Okay, so you can set up pretty much tomorrow as a sole trader without actually having to do anything. You might want to come up with a, a jazzy name just to distinguish yourself as a business, but that's the full extent, really, in, in addition to, say, your terms of business and a few bits and pieces to do your job. Yeah, you also register with HMRC, but it's a very straightforward process, uh, much more straightforward than, for example, if you're setting up a limited company. And what are the uh, the downsides then? So the downsides really all relate to the liability side of things. It is you. There's nothing between you and you know any dispute that comes in. You retain full liability, and that's in relation to disputes and debts. Um, now, putting this business structure into the context of the COVID-19 environment, I guess looking at the pros and cons in that respect, I suppose you have the benefits of sole traders are quite easily adaptable because you can be so flexible if a circumstance like this, which you couldn't possibly have planned for, arises. You can be quite manoeuvrable in adapting yeah, you're spot on. I mean, a sole trader, they can trade in any way they want. So there's no one else involved. You don't have to reach an agreement like you would within a partnership. Um, if you're going to, perhaps you're going to do a switch and do a different type of work. Um, similar with a limited company, you know, within a shareholders agreement, it will say what type of work that business is going to do. Um, and if they're going to have a complete change of tact, it would require the agreements of the other shareholders. So you're right, the, the flexibility that comes with a sole trader uh, would allow them to, to adapt perfectly to this situation, again, depending on what industry they're in. And the downside is quite evident to me, in part because of my previous professional experience in the legal sector, um, where uh, the funding support that has been on offer for sole traders is quite specific you can get the the business support which we've touched on before the grants if you've got a premises but if you don't have a premises which is quite often common for sole traders because as you say they're quite flexible and and, and relatively maneuverable in how they operate um, but one of the main issues uh, that the government has obviously tried to clamp down on is the financial support that is in, on offer is based upon your tax returns which of course are the profits that have been declared to the HMRC. And that's quite often something where sole traders might lose track of what they may have earned or what they may have spent because they are operating almost in their own little bubble. Yeah, they are. I mean, you know, they there's a huge amount of the economy that are made up by, by sole traders, but they are sort of micro-businesses, if you like, in, in as far as they're on their own. And that isn't saying that they will turn over less money, for example, than other businesses. But they have, as we've said, they have the layer of flexibility so they can adapt. But also, you know, in, in the current situation, they are entirely on their own. So if you take, for example, a partnership, you would at least have someone else involved in business with you who, let's say, for example, someone had to self-isolate because they had symptoms in this, in this environment. If you're a sole trader, there's no one to help you with that. There's no one to sort of carry the reins forward for a period. It's either you're working or you're not. Um, they do sometimes, you know, you see other instances where they might work alongside other people that are sole traders. 
um, work in that regard. Still separate, but still help each other out. But it is, a, I think it would be a much more lonely place than, for example, if, if you had one of the other business structures with other people involved to help you make the key decisions as to even how you're going to try and adapt in this environment. Well, that sounds like a wonderful segue to the pros for a partnership, which is quite obviously there's more people there to help share the load. Yeah, there's a few um, additional pros for a partnership. So they're still easy to form. Um, they're still easy to manage and they're easy to run. Um, as you say, more people are involved. So there's more support. You can draw on different skill sets. But also generally, because there's more people involved, more people have invested in the business. So at the start, um, when it's initially formed, the business might find that it's got a bit more cash than what it would have if there was just one person because you're pooling that cash with a view to moving forward and investing it within the business. What are the downsides? Because uh, as I think we mentioned earlier, everything comes as a double-edged sword. There's more people, so there's more support. There's more potential access to capital. But as always, that lend leads to more problems, I guess. Yeah, there's always a but, isn't there? So um, we've still got the same problems as what we've got with the the sole trade and makeup. So we've we've got there's still full liability um, on the partners, but then you've got the added complication, haven't you? Of um, there's other individuals involved, so there's the potential for disputes internally between those individuals, um, and then in terms of of setup costs, etc. Whilst it's you know very easy to form because it almost forms itself you need to be putting in place your partnership agreement. So there's a cost in terms of doing that. And that cost isn't there if you're a sole trader. Um, you would still have to do the other bits and pieces in terms of your your terms of business as well. So still easy to form, but slightly more expensive. Do you have a passion, hobby or expertise and want to share it with the world? Why not do a podcast? The PodStation offers a wide range of packages to make this a reality, ranging from training and support for those who have no idea where to begin to podcasters who just need somewhere to host their show. With prices starting at a mere £15 per month, you can now get involved in one of the fastest growing entertainment forms in the world without all the headaches. To find out more, visit thepodstation.co.uk forward slash station dash packages. And remember, those with passion, podcast. And where does it fit into the COVID-19 economic environment uh, for a partnership? From a government support aspect, of course, it depends on the circumstances of the business as to what finances are available. But presumably much the same as a sole trader because they are essentially self-employed individuals. It's going to be much the same as a sole trader, I guess, in terms of support and recognition. Yeah, I think it would. It would be a very similar situation. Um, A partnership really are just a collection of individuals that are trading as one for, for a business. So they often give themselves a name, but they are not separate legal entities. They are formed by those individuals so it'll be very similar, as you say, to the situation with sole traders. Right. What about the the LLP, the limited liability partnerships? Then, what what are the pros and cons of that? Why would you go for this option as opposed to, say, a normal partnership? It's really the flexibility that it brings. So you've got the advantage of of still being a a limited company, um, or albeit you know only just. 
but you still have the, the combined flexibilities that, that come with a partnership set up. Um, so flexibility is, is the main pro. When you're looking at the cons, though, that's when you start moving more towards the, the onerousness of, of it being registered, et cetera, um, with, with companies' house. Um, so you have a situation whereby the partners have to um, disclose their income. Um, they, at the point that you form an LLP, you have to start trading within a year of of the registration. Otherwise, the company's struck off. So it's not something you set up and then you leave for a long period of time, which is often done with limited companies. If someone wants one in the future, they might sort of nab the name now and and, and leave it in abeyance as a, a dormant company. Um, there's fairly complex legal documentation that's required in the form of the LLP agreement. And that's required still in addition to, as we've mentioned a few times, the the terms of business that would also be needed for whatever they do. So the, the setup is more complicated and onerous uh, and ultimately a bit more expensive. I guess that makes sense. The description of it in itself feels like it's trying to bridge two gaps, doesn't it? It's trying to be both a partnership and a limited company. And I guess the, the penalty for trying to have the best of both worlds is there's more to, to, to have to do to justify that. Yeah, there is. It's not really a, you know, a, a very common um, mechanism that's used. You tend to find that if, if it's going to become a company, then it will become a straightforward limited company. If not, if you're working on your own, you're a sole trader. If there's more than one of you, you're a partnership. It is used, but it's used nowhere near as much as the the straightforward limited company that we're all familiar with. So what are the pros of a limited company? The limitation on liability is is the big one um, because it is, as we've said, a separate legal entity. Therefore, there is that barrier between the owners of the business um, and, and any claims or disputes or debts that the, the business um, incurs. Is there any circumstance with a limited company where you could be personally liable and how often is that likely to be the case? Yeah, there are instances. Um, There's instances when directors can become personally responsible either because they've, you know, committed some sort of unlawful act uh, or, or as a consequence of one of the provisions of the company act. There's also instances, you know, when, a limited company is is trading and a bank, for example, if they're getting some lending, might want a personal guarantee. So there can be instances in which the owners sort of contract into additional liabilities. Um, generally speaking, s- save for any instance, as I say, where you've, you've contracted into that by giving a, a personal indemnity, it's unlikely or it's unusual for... Um, it's t- to be you personally rather than the company that ends up on the hook for things. But yeah, you do still have to operate it properly. You have to comply with all your obligations uh, and those obligations are fairly, are fairly onerous. Um, and it might even be that we do a future podcast just sort of setting them out for directors. So, so long as you don't do anything naughty uh, and you don't do anything uh, and you don't agree to anything specifically, uh, then the limited liability protection remains pretty sacrosanct. Yeah, it does. It's it's fairly safe, safe for you doing anything over or above. 
uh, or as you say, accepting any additional liability yourself. Now, you mentioned the complexities of maintaining a limited company in order to avoid that personal liability scenario. So I guess that falls into the cons list. It does. There's a few cons. Um, so there's obviously the setup cost of getting it going in the first place. What sort of costs are we talking about when you say setup costs? What kind of things do you need to have in place? So most people will, in the first instance, have the company set up by an accountant, which doesn't cost a great deal. You know, you're talking maybe a couple of hundred pounds. Um, but then you'll have to have a shareholders agreement prepared by a solicitor with suitable experience. And the cost of that is very much going to depend upon the complexity of what you're trying to do. So um, you'll recall a couple of weeks back, we did a shareholders agreement podcast, uh, which people can go back and have a listen to. You'll see within that, that it can be very simple or it can be very complicated. Uh, and obviously the cost reflects that. And either way, it's essential. Either way, it's essential. Um, either way, it's very silly to, to be trading without one. Um, and it's something that you should put in place as early on as possible. Okay, what other things do you need to do as a limited company? Each year there are um, annual accounts and financial reports that must be um, updated at company's house and placed into the public domain. Um, so it's a, it's a downside in as far as they've got to be done. Um, it's also a downside if you want to be private in relation to the amount that a business is earning um, because at least um, a basic set of accounts will be on, on public record at company's house for anybody to go and have a look at. Um, that's often done if someone is needs to engage in a dispute with a the business. They can see what sort of money the business has uh, before they tangle. So if you're doing particularly well, um, they may decide that you're a good target because you're likely to be able to pay any judgments if successful um only a con if if you see it if, if you see it as a con but uh, but certainly worth knowing about i think that's a lovely way of putting it i was just going about about to say about how limited companies fit into the covid19 environment actually they fare pretty well in terms of the support that's available by virtue of the fact that they are so heavily scrutinized and heavily regulated so uh, you you have the the likes of the grants which are available for the businesses to to help them keep on trading um but because because you're not personally liable you become an employee don't you of the the limited company which allows the options of the furlough scheme um which can help reduce your overheads for staff yeah, there's loads of benefits, both, you know, in, in relation to, as you say, the current situation whereby um, you, you are able to, to benefit from all those things you've said. There's also, you know, because um, it's a limited company, it, it doesn't really limit flexibility. You know, if you want to bring somebody else into the business, for example, you can still do that. You need advice when you're doing it and it needs to be structured right, but you can still do that. You can still alter the way in which you trade. You just need to agree that with your, your fellow shareholders. Um, limited companies, you know, they can involve anybody from one person upwards to as many people as you want to involve. Um, there's a huge number of the economy that's made up by limited companies. Certainly once businesses get into a certain size, they are the most uh, prevalent way of, of running a business. 
Um, and that is because, you know, the many pros outweigh the cons. I guess it goes without saying that if you're going to make a decision like this, you A, need advice from your accountant, um, but B, would you be going to see a solicitor? You could do. Um, it depends which way around you do it. So most people have an accountant anyway. So if you're a sole trader and you wonder whether you're trading in, in the correct way, should you update it to a limited company, um, for example, the, the first thing you do would be speak with your accountant and, and get a handle on what would the difference be in relation to the tax consequences. Um, provided that you're happy with that part, you could do one or two things. Then you could either go to a solicitor in terms of them being registered as a limited company, or most accountants will take that step, and then you can be referred on just for the legal documentation, so the the shareholders' agreements. But it also it can form part of any review. So as businesses are hopefully you know on their way out to the other side of the COVID nineteen situation in due course, they should sort of, they should take a step back from the business and and consider whether there's anything to be learned from what's happened. Are they structured right? Should they be doing anything different? Uh, and speaking with either a solicitor or an accountant, uh, or maybe even both, um, is, a, is a great way to get another insight. I also suspect it's pretty important, and this goes back to another episode we did about the, uh, the legal disputes, the litigation show, uh, where we were discussing the importance of making sure that the parties who are named on the court papers the entities that are being used to pursue any legal cases are absolutely correct and this i guess is a perfect example of why it is that you need to make sure those names are correct from the outset it is um because if you haven't checked you know if you're gonna if you're gonna issue proceedings against the business as you say we discussed this in detail during that podcast but if you've got a dispute with the business and you're going to pursue that business you have to be sure how they're trading to make sure that you're being named or, or you're naming them properly within the proceedings. Well, from the flip side, if there's a dispute against you, and as we've said, you're a, an individual as a sole trader, you're going to be named yourself. So if you don't want that, really you're, you need to think about whether you need to be moving over to be a limited company. But as I say, it is important that you have that discussion with your accountants as well, because you need to know to what extent that's going to affect you from a, a tax liability um, side of things if you do that. Because as, as we've been through, the whole structure and the, as to how the tax works and what money you can and can't take um, is, is very different between the two. And actually, it's also a great defence if somebody decides to sue Bob the Builder, but actually it should have been Bob the Builder Limited. He's got a defence to it, hasn't he? He has. Um, I know there's the, more to it than that, but in its basic construct. Absolutely, absolutely. It's a defence. One of the things that you'd be looking for, though, and again, we keep banging on about this, but your terms of business will set out who you are trading as. So it will set out that you are, in your example, Bob the Builder Limited rather than Bob the Builder. Um, without the terms of business, you get a certain amount of uncertainty. So... Does the person know that they're not dealing with you, i.e. Bob? Do they know they're dealing with the company? Um, you want to remove all that uncertainty by there being the terms of business in place that spells it out. And then you can rely upon those terms of business if they do get it wrong and try naming you within any proceedings. 
Fantastic. Well, I think we've 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 rather comprehensively covered something that you could probably do a separate show for each different entity. And that might well be something that we come back and do. I think to later date. If people do have any questions, Rob, do you want to just quickly run through the contact information they can get hold of via using? Yeah, absolutely. So you can contact us at our office. Uh, the numbers still manned um, during all the the, the epidemics or the close downs. It's 0151-637-2034. You can email us on info at johnsonandboom.co.uk. You can download our app and you can book an appointment with any of our solicitors directly into their diaries. um, And we give you a call at the the chosen time. Um, You can contact us through any of our social medias uh, or you can jump on our website, uh, johnsonandboom.co.uk. And there's a message tab there as well, which you can get in contact with us via. Absolutely. If you've got any suggestions for topics or you've got any questions that have arisen as a result of what we've chatted about today, either contact Rob and his team using that email address or just drop a direct message on social media. Uh, Johnson and Boone's uh, pages are LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Rob's got his own uh, LinkedIn page as well, so you can contact him directly using that as well. So uh, hopefully, I, th- I think that's probably done as what what we're going to do next time, Rob. I- am I going to be graced with your presence again, or are we bringing in another member of the team? Well, that very much depends upon our listeners, because what we're doing next week for the first time is we're throwing out two recommendations. So we've had a few um, suggestions so far. We're probably going to cut it off in a couple of days' time, and then we'll pick one randomly, um, and that will become the basis of next week. So whether you grace with my presence, Mark, depends upon whether it's one of my subject areas or not. Public, it is in your hands. The gauntlet has been laid firmly at your feet, and it's up to you to accept the challenge. So will I be talking to Rob, or will I be talking to one of the other team uh, in one of the various different areas that, that Johnson and Boone offer. Uh, so we'll find out in another exciting episode next week. It feels like a soap opera does this. You have a cliffhanger. <laughs> it is a cliffhanger, people. Uh, oh, I don't think I'll sleep all week. Right, well, thank you very much for joining me, Rob. Thanks very much, Mark. Pleasure as always. And we'll catch you next time, guys. See you later. See you, guys. Get social at Johnson and Boone on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter.